I'm wondering if uh, there's a volunteer here. Good to see you all, by the way. Gosh. Thank you. Thank you. Happy New Year to you too. Well, uh, I need a volunteer. I need someone that wants to have a cup of tea, perhaps, with me, or a coffee. Uh, have we got it? Yeah. All right. I need a grown-up. Sorry, Hugo. Um, who do we have? We've got someone over here. Lynette? Did I get that right? No. Lydia! Oh, my goodness. I'm so sorry. All right. If you can come up here. I've got a couple of cups up here. And what I would like you to do um, is to have a look at the outside of these cups. Tell me, uh, which one of these two cups do you like the outside of? The, the one with the dogs that have Christmas hats on them. The dogs with Christmas hats. Cool. You didn't like the ones with the flowers or you just like that more? Yeah, okay, cool. I'm happy to have the flowers one. Um, <laughs> this time, though, um, I want you to have a look um, inside the cups and I'd like you to tell me which one you definitely want to drink out of. Uh, the dogs with the Christmas hats. The dogs. There you go. All right. There you go. Could we just stay there just for a second? If you could just stay there for the next hour, that would be great. Um, okay. Now, um, by the way, why did you pick that one? What was wrong with this one? Because it's all dirty inside. It's got all these stains, like coffee stains. Right. Now, I need a show of hands. How many people in the workplace where you have worked perhaps over the years have had the same issue where when you go to the common kitchen and there are common cups there, you go to pull out a cup and you go, oh, I like the outside of that cup. That looks good. And you pull it out and then you see inside how stained it is. How many people here get annoyed by that? How many people think, who didn't wash the inside of that cup? Yeah. I'm normally that guy that didn't wash the inside of the cup. So I apologize. You can, you can take that back. I'll just need it back later because it could be, I think it's Greg's. Um, yeah, but you can, you can take it back with you for the moment. Just hold it. You hold the cup and you think about the message while we talk today because I want to talk to you about cups today. And I'm just going to put this cup down the front here so I can kick it off the stage accidentally at the end of the message. Um, today, I want to begin by reading a passage of Scripture. I, I'll refer to this lots over the years because it's a really foundational passage of Scripture for me. And it's found in Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. Uh, it's called Ephesians. And it's chapter 2 and it's verse 10. And this is a fairly well-known and a popular verse for lots of people, but when I started Bible college in 1993, did you hear that, kids? In 1993, back in the olden days when everything was black and white, my daughter said that to me recently. I'm like, that's so weird. I said that to my parents when I was young. Um, but anyway, yes, um, 1993, the very first scripture that I had to memorize was this particular scripture, and I think it's a great scripture worth memorizing. It says, for we are, what's it say here? For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the what? He planned for us long ago. I love this passage. As a matter of fact, this whole section in the book or this letter of Ephesians is kind of broken into almost two parts. The beginning chapters speak so much about who we are, about our identity as followers of Jesus. It speaks to who God's calling us to be, 
reminding us who God says we are. And then the second half of the letter speaks so much about how we're to live. And all in this one verse, in chapter 2, verse 10, we see this pattern. It begins with our identity, who we are, and it reminds us that from the place of who we are, we have things that God is inviting us to do. But so often in faith and in religion, our starting point has become, what am I going to do? And there can be a a myriad of uh, motivations for that. The the motivation could be, what am I going to do to get God's attention or get God's favor or get God's blessing? And that's a, that's a false idea in the gospel of Jesus because you can't do anything to get God's blessing or God's favor or God's attention other than accepting that God's favor and blessing and love is already for you, on you, in you, and around you. That's the starting point of knowing that you could never do anything or enough to actually get God to do good things in your life. Scripture reminds us that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. God is generous. God is loving. He's for all people. So our starting point is knowing we're loved. And in this scripture, there's a reminder that Paul wants his listeners in the church in Ephesus to know that you are God's workmanship. You are God's masterpiece. In other words, God is shaping you. He's doing something with you as a community, with us as a community, And you as an individual, a part of that community. So Paul wants us to know this is your starting point. We are God's masterpiece. He's creating something amazing. And he's doing it in Christ Jesus. He's he's doing it through Christ at work in our lives. That's our foundation. That's our identity. And that should be the starting point for everything that we consider doing with our life. Knowing who we are. Because when you know who you are, that actually sets the framework for what you will do. When I became a cricket coach of a young cricket team, that identity as a coach shaped what I did. What it meant was I didn't go and take the bat and give the ball to one of the young guys and go, hey guys, bowl some balls to me. I I, want to get some batting practice in here. Because I was the coach. It It wasn't about me having a good time in the cricket nets. It was about understanding that my role is as a coach, and so I'm there to equip those young kids to win every single game that season. Because I believe that was God's will for our cricket team and not for the other teams in the competition. As warped as that may be, I'm sure I did feel that deep down. So that was my identity. If you become a member of the royal family, um, actually, that's, that's a bit controversial at the moment. Let's, let's pick a different one. Um, if you become a politician in our... No? I've got it. Go back to cricket? Yeah, no. Go back to cricket. I've been watching a lot of tennis and cricket, actually. I just wanted to share that. It's got nothing to do with the message. But... Um, If you become an ambassador, thank you, communal preaching this is called, you help me come up with better ways to express things. If you become the ambassador of your country, the moment you are set apart for that role as ambassador, you have an identity and you have a responsibility. 
Your identity shapes your future behavior. And so the same is with our faith. The moment you become a follower, an apprentice, a disciple of Jesus, and you say through the waters of baptism, I no longer live, but now Christ lives in me. This is my new identity. When you come up out of that water, you say, now I'm a follower of Christ. That's my identity. I'm a son, a daughter of the Most High God. And that identity shapes how we live so that we can do the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. So I want to start off with that. And I want to tell you about a poor husband and dad moment at the beginning um, of this year. So Teresa and I were having a conversation. And that conversation became a robust conversation. And in that conversation... Um, it was very important that she understood my point. And during the course of me trying to make sure that she would understand my point, my, so my, my right point of perspective, um, it, it became a, a, a strong, heated discussion. Uh, you might call it an argument. One of my children called it a fight. Because about three meters away from the conversation was one of my children. So when we paused our conversation, which is code for we bailed until we could come up with a better way to have the conversation, as I walk out of the space where I was, one of my two children is standing there and says, why do you have to fight with mum for? And I said, it's not a fight. It's a strong discussion. And then this child began to have a strong discussion with me about the strong discussion I was having. And I'm going, what is going on here? And uh, there was a fair bit of emotion that was um, rising within my good heart. And uh, anyway, this, this conversation, it went for half a day. Um, now, some of you are going, oh, that's nothing. Some of you are going, oh, my goodness, you guys need therapy. <laughs> Probably, but um, more me. But here's what happened. Right at that same period of time, I'm probably making the conversation for comedy purposes appear more light than it actually felt in the moment. Because it wasn't a proud moment. Because I actually walked away thinking, from the first conversation, then had one with my child where I walked away going, Ugh. And then walked outside and was processing how being misunderstood is so frustrating. Only to have that sweet, small, actually not sweet, that small voice that we have come to know as the Holy Spirit in our life say, um, you need to relax and you need to back off a bit on trying to make this point. And the way that you're trying to make your point is not loving, it's not kind, it's not a great example. And all this stuff's running through my head, and I just flicked that little angel off there, off that side of the shoulder, and just kept listening to the little devil one on this side that said, you're right, keep going, uh, you know, you've got a good point. About a day later, I was in... Uh, a moment where I was sitting down to do something that I'm going to tell you about a little bit later, and I began going, working through a prayer and reading scripture. And right at that moment, 
as I was saying the words, um, God shaped me and helped me to be the man that you're calling me to be, my brain instantly went to the conversations the day before where I realized, oh man, I am not always the person that I want to be. I do not always respond and speak and debate and have strong discussions in the way that I'm proud of or in the way that Jesus is inviting me to. And it was in this same period of time that I was doing the period of, you know, the lead up to New Year's. Uh, I was doing, what are my goals for 2023? Do we have any um, New Year's resolution or people that in the lead up to New Year's Eve, you set your goals? Can I get a show of hands? All right, sorry, let me rephrase the question. Can I get a show of hands? How many people used to do New Year's resolution and set goals in the lead up to New Year's Eve? Can I get a show of hands? Okay, there you go. So I was one of you before you grew up. And uh, so I am, I'm setting these goals and I'm writing down this year, here's what I want to do. And I don't know if any of your goals have ever gone like this, but some of my goals used to go like this. All right, I'm going to read the Bible in a year. Do you remember the one-year Bible? Anyone ever get one of those things? Yeah, get rid of it. They, they are, oh my goodness, they just create stress and anxiety in your life. Because you get to the end of the day and you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't do today's reading. But then the horror is realizing you didn't finish yesterday's either. So then you've got to do today's and yesterday's. And then you're like, oh, I'll catch up tomorrow morning. I'll get up earlier. And then, and then after about four days... You've invested in this one-year Bible that has daily Bible readings through through the whole Bible in a year, and you bail, and you say, I remember that message that Stephen preached on grace, and how we're under grace, and I'm just going to live under grace, and then we'll revisit the one-year Bible next year. Um, maybe your goals in the past have been, I'm going to get fit. I'm going to do a certain amount of exercise. Maybe it was, I'm going to read a book a month, or some of you are hardcore, and you're like, I'm going to read a book a week. Um, and, and that can't count as a golden book or a Dr. Seuss book. Um, maybe you're going to write a book. This is the year I'm going to write a book, or it's I'm going to go on a trip to, to visit my sponsor child, or we're going to have a weekly date night this year. And you start off and you create these goals. And here's what I've discovered about this way of living. If you live your life starting with what before who, you can trip yourself up into the same old tired pattern of humanity that history tells us doesn't work. Where we seek to achieve without being clear why it matters. Where we, we go in the pursuit of changing ourselves or bettering our lives without understanding why. And so I've practiced over probably the last decade, maybe longer, the practice of every time we get to this time of year, before I do the what do I want to do this year, what do I feel like I need to focus on? Or what are the goals I need to be looking towards? Is to ask the question, who are you calling me to be, God? Who do I need to be? Because who we are precedes what we do when we're followers of Christ. Who we are precedes what we do. The reason why this is so important is because any of us can get caught up in the process of achieving goals or ticking off lists and saying, yes, look what I've done. Now, this morning, I'm glad I've got the microphone first this year before Ryan Smith does. He happens to be on the computer at the back, but as one of our regular preachers here, 
I was very excited that I was going to be preaching before him. He's on in a few weeks' time. He decided it would be a good idea, because we both have these watches, to link up our little fitness plan. And I realized something about myself, which I probably already knew, but it definitely reinforced it. Um, it's a sporting competitive thing. I don't know what it is, but it's just like, oh man, I don't like losing. Um, now, I've, I've matured, so you can play a board game with me, and if I lose, it's fine. We're still friends. I'll talk to you next month. Um, but there's that part of me that, like, I love the challenge. And so we set this challenge, and I'm like, every day, and so often, it'd be like 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, and I just click on the thing, and I'm like, oh my goodness, he's gone and done something. And he's way ahead of me on the steps or the, the kilojoule count, whatever the thing is that we're, we're on. And it's like, all right. And I'm watching the tennis, and I'm like literally walking up and down stairs, trying to like get those steps up and just go, Phew, I made it. But here's the thing. If you set out to try and achieve a goal for a goal's sake without having a bigger purpose or reason why you're doing the thing you do, you may be like the person that sets up the ladder and decides, I want to climb the ladder, only to realize that you're climbing up the wrong wall. You may have heard that analogy before. And so many people in life do this. They do this with their careers. They do this with their, um, their everyday life. They do this with their faith. They start climbing a ladder of learning. They learn all about the Bible. They read the Bible in a year. They start praying. They start doing all the disciplines and the practices of our faith. But they don't know for what purpose. And so the scripture I want us to focus on today is found in Matthew chapter 23 because it's a stark warning to us of what happens when you live your life trying to achieve and do outward acts of service and tick off boxes and, um, you know, do the external practices of the faith, but you actually miss the purpose by which it is we're meant to be really doing or focusing on. Matthew chapter 23. This is a passage of scripture where Jesus is starting to really ramp things up with those who are like his enemies or those who are against him, um, those people who are criticizing him as a rabbi and a teacher. And so he starts to speak to them and he's really beginning to challenge them. And you see a lot of parallels between what he's speaking about in this section and earlier on when he speaks about the Beatitudes and his teaching of the Sermon on the Hill or the Sermon on the Plain. And so... Um, that you'll see a lot of things kind of coming together in this passage. So let's read this, verses 1 to 4. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. Now listen carefully to this. Jesus is saying, I want you to do what they tell you. I want you to listen and do everything that they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Ouch. Verse 4, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads, and they put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries, who knows what a phylactery is? Who's got one? And who's wearing it today? Okay, a phylactery is those little boxes that you'll see um, traditional Jewish people wear on their head, and it has scriptures, often the Torah or the, the, um, the, the key writings of scripture in it, rolled up like a little scroll, and it's in this box, and they were wet on their head. And it was like a sign of them 
living out, living under the law of God. But he says, but they make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long and they love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. Woe to you. This is uh, verse 15. Um, Jesus begins seven, they call the seven woes, seven areas where he challenges the behavior of these people who live like this. He says in verse 15, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Hypocrite is another way of saying you're an actor. You're pretending to be something that you are not actually. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Whoa. That's intense preaching, don't you reckon? To be, I mean, maybe I need to just lift up my game, but I have never actually said to anyone that I've ever preached to, hey, you need to look at your behavior because people that you're influencing, you're making them twice as much a child of hell as you are. It's like heavy. Now, what's Jesus getting at when he says this? He's basically getting at the fact that you reproduce who you are. You reproduce who you are. If you are a hypocrite and you tell people, here's what the message of God is about, but you don't live the message of God, you will end up reproducing that in your life or through those that you're calling to be part of this, this journey. And we see this happen all the time. People hear the message and they say, yes, I believe in the message. And then they follow the people who told them about how to live the message, and all they do is follow in their ways because they realize, oh, yeah, you actually don't really have to be compassionate, and you don't really have to be just, and you actually can talk to the staff or the juniors, and you can really talk down over them, and you can really mistreat people and still be a leader. And all throughout the Western world in particular, in the media, on social media, we see story after story after story of people who are reproducing people who don't look like the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God that Jesus came speaking about. Because they love the message, but they haven't allowed the message to actually impact their lives in such a way that they're transformed. They're focused on what it is we're trying to do rather than who we're called to become and allowing that place of who we are to actually impact what we do. Because, I don't know if you realize this yet, but you can go and you can do a whole bunch of things in the name of Jesus but you can also do those things in ways that don't look like Jesus and his kingdom. And we have to be so careful about that. In verse 23 and 24, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices. In today's, that'd be like a tenth of your money. You give your mint, your dill, your cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law. In other words, they're focusing on the little details of what it means to be pious and to, to live the right way. But they're actually neglecting the most important aspects of God's way, which is justice and mercy and faithfulness. 
Jesus says, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. In other words, it's a priority dynamic he's talking about here. You blind guides, he says to them. You strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. A gnat, that's not a person, that's not a lady in her name. A gnat is like a little fly, a mosquito-type object, okay? So he's basically using these analogies and these metaphors to say, you're so about the details and priding yourself on that, but you're actually, you're actually missing the whole big point of this. He goes on and says, Woe to you, teachers of the law, and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup. Remember the cup? Looks good on the outside. I mean, you might not like the artwork or the style. And I'm sorry, whoever's cup this is up in the office. You may or may not like the outside of the cup, but it is clean. But Jesus says, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside... They're dirty. In other words, they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also be clean. What Jesus is getting at here is that we need to be doing the inner work of transformation. We need to be doing the work of understanding, first and foremost, we are loved of God. We do not have to do anything to achieve God's blessing, favor, or love. But in following Christ in His way, it's important we actually live out of who God says we are and we actually allow our hearts and our lives to be transformed around the things that are most important and not actually have these false markers of our spirituality or our life that can actually lead us down the wrong pathway. He goes on in the last part of this section. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. I want to share with you a couple of thoughts as we wrap this up. First of all, I need to be aware, and I need to beware, and I'm inviting all of us to beware of what we call pseudo-transformation. Pseudo-transformation is where you think you're becoming more like Christ because of how much of the Bible you've read or know, or because of how many prayer meetings you turned up to, or because of how much you serve in the local church, or because of how many missions trips you've been on. Or because of how many people you sponsor. And it is very easy for us to, on the external, look like we are living the way of Jesus. And yet the most important things in our life can be neglected and it leaks out. Sometimes it doesn't just leak out. It actually pours out. When we have conversations with our wife that don't look like the way of Jesus. When we have conversations or we behave in ways with our children that doesn't look like the love of Jesus. So the question is, you can be ticking all the boxes and look so good on the outside. And man, I don't want to put myself out there and just say, I look good on the outside. I'll let my wife tell, tell me that. You don't need to come up and say, you look so good on the outside. 
But we try to dress to look as good as we can on the outside. That's why you did your hair if you have hair. That's why you cleaned your teeth. That's why you wore the shirt or the shorts. Some of you maybe didn't look. But, um, but we, we have these things because this is how we present to the world. But in fact, the reality is if you hang around someone long enough, you start to be- see what's actually on the inside. Isn't that true? And so this year in 2023, the challenge isn't what am I going to achieve, although that's worth reflecting on. I'm not against achievement by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm saying the priority needs to be who will I become over what I will achieve. And so I started writing down again during this period in the lead up to New Year's Eve, who do I want to become? And some of the reflections were based on this idea from 1 Corinthians 13 that says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but I didn't love others, I'd only be a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, or if I understood all of God's secret plans and posed, uh, possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I'd be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Jesus talks about this over and over again in the Gospels by saying, you will know them by their fruit. In other words, it's the fruit of someone's life, who they are, that actually is the evidence of what's really taking place in someone's heart. So as I said last year, and as I say again this year, at the end of 2023, what story will be told about you? What story will be told about our community here? And is it the story that looks increasingly like Jesus' beautiful vision of the kingdom of heaven on earth? And so I started asking myself the question, okay, well, if there's going to be fruit in my life that looks like Jesus in his kingdom, Galatians 5 says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, Missed a couple, but there's nine of them. And the reality is, I realize I don't always exhibit these. So this year, I need to position myself in such a way that the Holy Spirit can work in my life to transform me so that the goals that I have can be more significant and actually be realized. And here's a few of the goals. First goal for the 2023 is this. Clean the cup from the inside. Clean the cup from the inside. I'm going to tell you how I'm trying to do that. The second goal is, they're simple, but love well. In 2023, I want to love well. I want to love well as a husband. I want to love well as a dad. I want to love well as a friend. I want to love well as a colleague. And I want to love well as a fellow human in the way of Christ, looking at perhaps enemies, or even people I don't even realize my enemies, looking at the people that Jesus said, this is who we're to show God's love to. And the third thing is, my goal for 2023 is to represent Christ well. And to represent Christ well by being gracious, by offering the grace that God has given me to others in my life, by being compassionate, And by being about justice and not just ignoring the injustices of the world around about me, but actually getting active in playing my part in using the resources that God has given me to actually represent Christ well. The reality is you cannot do all these things unless you practice 
and you engage in practices that help you become what you are not at the moment. And this is where the practices of prayer and of scripture reading and of silence and of gathering together with others and of listening to the scripture taught where we actually allow ourselves in worship and in our singing time, as Hannah led us right at the beginning, to actually say, let's at the beginning of 2023, let's allow our lives, let's surrender our hearts, our agendas, all those things so that we can become the people that Jesus is calling us to become in 2023. And my hope for you is that this year, men, Men that are married, your spouse may say, wow, this year, you've loved me better than any other year in our marriage. This year, you were less angry, you were more gentle, you were more compassionate, you were more loving. You are more gracious. You are calmer. You are more patient. Thank you. Wouldn't it be amazing, and our kids probably won't say it the way I'm going to say it, if our kids said to us at the end of this year, hey, Dad, you used to be a bit cranky all the time. You used to be a bit grumpy. You didn't really want to play with me in the backyard much. But you're a really good dad. I think that honors God. I think that honors Jesus. Imagine if your friend at your workplace says to you at the end of the year, I don't know what's going on in your life, but it used to be a little bit painful to be around. But I actually like hanging around you this year. I mean, this happens when we set the right goal. I want to become more like Christ. And I'm going to engage in the practices, which I'm going to talk about next week. I'm going to engage in the practices that are going to shape me and mold me so that I look more like Jesus and his kingdom. And we need to encourage one another in that. We need to meet together and listen and pray with one another and say, hey, let's become the best friends, the best dads, the best husbands, the best spouses, the best work colleagues that we can in the way of Jesus. Let's, let's be authentic about it and let's allow ourselves to be transformed from the inside out. Clean that cup out on a daily basis so that we can make decisions and choices to walk in the way of Jesus forevermore. Would you stand with us this morning? Musicians are going to come. The beginning of 2023, I'm going to invite you into a prayer of commitment, a prayer of surrender. And I'm going to read to you from a book that I just read recently, by the way, about getting serious about following Jesus. It's the prayer of St. Francis, and many of you have probably heard this prayer before, but I'm going to read the prayer, and as I read each line, if you agree with the line, I want you in your own heart to say, 
yes or to say the line quietly before God this morning. And then we're going to sing and worship. And this is the prayer of St. Francis. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born or resurrected to eternal life. Amen. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in every one of our hearts today and tomorrow to help us become the people that you're inviting us to become this year. I thank you we are forgiven, that our past is gone, that our present day is an opportunity to live in grace and mercy and forgiveness and your love. And may we offer that to everyone that we see and we encounter in Jesus' name. Amen.